book of Acts, chapter by chapter. We find ourselves in Acts chapter 9, if you'd open your Bibles there this morning. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 23. Our text is verses 23 through 31. The topic, Saul escapes Damascus when he is let down in a basket through the wall. The title of our message, When Life Lets You Down. Verse 23, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarshish. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this text. We want to understand it in its original context and what it meant to the believers living in that first century, that exciting time of the birth of the church. But we want to bring it forward to our 21st century and uh, make application of it to our own lives so that we can be excited and filled as we leave this place, knowing that you've called us, Lord, to simply give a testimony about your love and grace, how much you mean to us and what you can do in the lives of others. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, amen. I'm not sure if Saul was a sarcastic guy. If he was, I think that when asked how his time in Damascus went, he might have said, it was kind of a letdown. I'm going to just wait a couple more minutes for the rest of you. Saul was literally let down through the wall in a large basket. But figuratively, the ministry in Damascus could be seen as a letdown. After all, Saul was forced to flee to avoid an assassination attempt. Jerusalem was a major letdown. The apostles initially did not believe Saul was a disciple. Then only after about two weeks in Jerusalem, he was forced to flee again after an attempt was made on his life. Returning to Tarshish had letdown written all over it. Saul had once been the favorite son of the Jews in that city. He was in line to be the next famous rabbi. He was returning home as a despised follower of Jesus Christ. Saul gives no indication here or anywhere in his writings that he was personally feeling let down. There is no sense of disillusionment or depression. There is no sense of his wanting to quit. He understood that these setbacks and sufferings came with the territory. These experiences are for our learning. We sometimes feel let down in our ministry. We sometimes are let down by other believers. We can even feel as though the Lord himself has let us down. 
In those times, we need the encouragement to press forward. These early episodes in Saul's life can give us the encouragement we need. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, when you are being let down, Jesus is building you up. And number two, when you are being let down, Jesus is building others up. First of all, the bulk of our verses, verses 23 through 30, when you are being let down, Jesus is building you up. Saul was his Hebrew name. In Greek, it's Paul. I will sometimes call him one or the other. I'm describing the same individual, Saul, who was Paul the Apostle. When we left Saul, he was preaching about Jesus in the synagogues of Damascus. We pick up where we left off in verse 23, where it says, Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. The many days could have been as long as two years. Sometime early in his Christian life, Saul spent time out in the desert. He wrote about it in his letter to the Galatians. I'll read it to you. It's Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Paul said this, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And so Saul gives us a chronology of this time that we're reading about. Uh, You know, we go from one verse to the next and we skip over a couple of years at least in his life. And so we want to fill that in this morning. Saul was saved on the road to Damascus. He spent a little time there immediately afterward preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. Then he went out into the Arabian desert for a while. Now, although in the desert and spending time alone with Jesus, Saul wasn't just meditating while dipping fried locusts in honey mustard sauce. (laughs) So I used to hear about Saul being out in the desert, and I just pictured him like John the Baptist, you know, the original man versus wild. Just John out in the desert, and it said that he had a diet of locusts and honey. And I could just see John kicking back, meditating, dipping these locusts, you know, crunching them down with this honey. Maybe, you know, honey gets old after probably adding a little sagebrush and, you know, just having all these honey concoctions. He might have had even a little cottage industry of selling John the Baptist honey on the side. (laughs) What do you know? So anyway, it could be. But Saul, so I always thought about Saul just out in the desert, you know, getting all wooly and with his beard. You know, if you saw him, you'd be scared to death. You know, who's that? I don't know, but let's run. It's the missing link. You know, it's a guy just, you know, <laughs> eating grubs and stuff like that. And uh, so anyway, that's how I always thought about Saul. But in reality, he gives indications in the other letters he wrote that he was busy evangelizing and establishing churches among the folks who lived in that region. And so, yes, he spent a great deal of time with the Lord, uh, meditating on uh, certain things, getting his heart and mind really wrapped around Christian doctrine, but he was busy during that time as well. 
In verse 23, Saul returned to Damascus after his meditation and ministry out in the desert, and there the local Jews plotted to kill him. And so in verse 24, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. They were going to seize him at the gates of the city. A decision was reached that it was time for Saul to depart Damascus. But how would they get him out of the city since they had to go through the gates? And verse 25, then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. Now, the Greek word for large is longa, and basket is burger. <laughs> From where we get our word longa burger. Uh, no, that's not true. That's absolutely false heresy. The word for basket describes a braided rope, and so this may have been a large braided basket, even made of braided rope, or it may have simply been a net of braided rope, like a large fisherman's net. So whichever you prefer, we're not sure, but, uh, you know, Saul... uh, had to ingloriously climb out a window, get in this net, and then be let down, probably without a pulley system, I would guess, you know, just by hand. And, and you know, I'm sure that he was hitting the wall and scratch. I mean, it, it's, it's really, it's comical, really. Uh, I mean, if, if, if they ever made a musical comedy out of the book of Acts, this would be a prominent feature of it. And uh, he gets down and then he escapes out into the desert on his way down to Jerusalem. Now, after three years in and around Damascus, Saul was let down through the wall. I'm using it as a play on words to suggest that serving God can sometimes seem to be a letdown. Listen to Saul's own words in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 describing the ministry. He says... uh, I was in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons prisons more frequently, in deaths often, not just death, but deaths. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the churches, In Damascus, the governor under Ariadus, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Now, we notice here that the escape from Damascus is at the end of this long list of sufferings that Paul had endured. The list is not in chronological order, but scholars still feel, by comparing different events from his life, that at least some of the setbacks and sufferings Saul mentioned in these verses occurred in the first three years of his ministry before his escape from Damascus. If you serve the Lord... There will be times that your ministry itself will seem to be a letdown. 
Not talking to pastors, although this would be applicable to pastors. Not talking to missionaries necessarily, although applicable. Talking to any Christian who exercises any ministry whatsoever, either in the church or outside of the church. I could personally give you hundreds, maybe even thousands of examples of ministerial letdown. You begin to wonder if you really heard from the Lord. You begin to doubt your calling. You start to think you're not even affecting anyone or furthering the kingdom of God. You want to quit and just live a quiet Christian life that doesn't involve serving others. It is when you are feeling let down in your work that you must remember that you are the work. God didn't save you just to get a little more work done. We're talking about God, the creator of heaven and earth. Before he created man, he was busy creating a universe, a pretty immense universe, a pretty extensive universe, a pretty amazing universe, even in its fallen condition. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament His handiwork. And so when God gives you work to do, it's not that He needs, it's not that He got tired after the sixth day and, and needed some help. And we forget that often we are the work. He saved you to work on you. You are His work. You are His workmanship, we read in Ephesians he is changing you day by day into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says you are predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. It says we are changed from glory to glory as we see the Lord Jesus Christ. It is nothing for God to grant you success in your serving. It is far more difficult for you to realize that he is your sufficiency in all things. It's easy to press forward when things are going well. It requires faith to persevere when things are a letdown. Worse even than being generally let down, though, in your ministry is being personally let down by other Christians along the way. Paul experienced an ultimate personal letdown upon his return to Jerusalem. Verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, you know, I'm always very, very careful to not criticize folks in the Bible. I don't want to spend my eternity explaining where I got these things wrong and why I picked on Peter. I don't know what kind of glorified body Peter's going to have in eternity. On earth, he had a very hefty body. You know, when they needed somebody who could pull up nets by himself, they, hey, Pete, come on over. I mean, he was, a, you know, he was a strong guy. And so when these pastors go around talking about, you know, there's Peter putting his foot in his mouth again. <laughs> I don't want him putting his foot in my chest when I see him. <laughs> Peter, I was there, brother. I was defending you. You're my apostle, bro. <laughs> so I'm very careful about criticizing. But in this case, the disciples were blowing it. You can't tell me that they had no information about Saul's conversion and activities for three years. Information didn't travel fast in those days, but it traveled. And that's why that timeline is so important. Saul had set out from Jerusalem almost three years earlier with the express purpose of ruining the church in Damascus. He had scattered the apostles, and, or not the apostles, but the disciples out of Jerusalem, and now he was going up to Damascus. 
They had heard what happened in Damascus. They'd have to have heard about it. Somebody must have come back and said, hey, you can't believe what happened. Or they send messengers, hey, what's going on with the church in Damascus since Saul arrived? And so they had some inkling, whatever that means. What is an inkling anyways? A little bit of ink? But anyway, they had some inkling that Paul, of what had gone on with Saul, and now he shows up three years later in Jerusalem, and they say, we don't believe you're saved. I guess they thought it was one of these undercover programs, you know. Here's what we'll do, Saul. We'll send you to Damascus. You pretend you get saved. Then just go out into the desert for two and a half years and eat locusts and honey. Come back. You can act like a Christian, and then you can infiltrate the deepest levels of the Jerusalem church. Well, that's insane. The, the apostles were preaching openly. They didn't need to figure out who was an apostle. Everybody knew who they were. And so this makes no sense at all. The apostles and the disciples had fear, and we know that perfect love casts out fear. And so this is just bad. Now, what it does for us, though, is it tells us something we know. You are going to be let down by Christians over and over again in your life. And you are going to let down Christians over and over again. We don't try to do it. We don't set out to do it. It's just a function of humanity. It's not a problem unique to the church. It's a problem wherever people are in relationship with one another. It's just harder when it happens in the church. You're not expecting it unless it's you that's doing it and then you're excusing it. I mean, so we, it's just a function of human beings that, that we let one another down. And so Barnabas tries to help. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. We first encountered Barnabas when he was making a generous financial donation to the church to help the Benevolence Fund. Now he is busy building relationships within the church. And so, as an aside, be a Barnabas. That's a no-brainer. I mean, if you want to pick out somebody to be in this text and, and it's not Saul, then Barnabas would be your next best choice. I mean, we all want to have this kind of encouraging ministry being filled with the love of the Lord and bringing people together. Now, as wonderful as this was for Saul, there isn't always going to be a Barnabas around when you are let down by Christians. The point of this message isn't find a Barnabas. There isn't always going to be a Barnabas. Saul himself, this great apostle, would suffer many personal letdowns. Whole church congregations that he had established turned against him. We just read a list of some of the things Paul went through for the sole purpose of bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ and getting them established in a church. He was beaten severely. He was robbed. He was always in peril, whether in a city or out in the wilderness. He was hungry. You'd think a guy that was hungry that often wouldn't fast, but he fasted. And it goes on and on. And then he brings people to faith in Jesus Christ. He's their spiritual father. He establishes them in a church, and then he hears months or years later that they've turned away from him. They've turned against him. They don't acknowledge him anymore. They're upset with him. And, even, and that's where he says, and on top of all the physical things that happened to me, I had the care of the churches. 
And, and so he understood what it was to be let down. Toward the end of his life, he would say, and this is from 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and he departed for Thessalonica. Then he mentions that a guy named Cretans left for Galatia and Titus went to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And there are other indications towards the end of Paul's life. He said, no one is standing with me. Out of the thousands and multiplied thousands of Christians that had, had been saved under his ministry, he says, really, it's just me and Jesus. Perhaps the ultimate irony in this is that in a few chapters, Saul and Barnabas are going to have such a strong disagreement that they split from working with one another. And so when you're thinking, man, that Barnabas, well, yeah, give it a few years, and, and they have a disagreement over whether to take a young missionary with them. This guy, John Mark, we'll get to it, but I'll tell you a little bit about it. John Mark had gone out on a, uh, a missionary trip with the Apostle Paul, and he flaked out. It's the only way you can put it. He, he just left him and wasn't any help. And so now Barnabas, they're getting ready to go on another missionary trip. Barnabas says, hey, let's bring John Mark. He needs the encouragement. And if you're the Apostle Paul, he's like, are you crazy? And Barnabas says, well, what's the problem? He goes, he goes here's the problem. Everywhere I go, I am beat up, robbed, left for dead, imprisoned, stoned to death, shipwrecked. I'd like to have somebody with me who's going to help out, who I can count on. I need a wingman, if you understand me, you know. And John Mark flaked out. I can't count on that guy. I need somebody to at least weep over me when I've been killed so that maybe I come back to life or something. You know, I, I'm not taking John Mark. And they had such a strong disagreement that they split into two different missionary teams. What are you going to do when you are personally let down by others in the body of Christ? When there is no Barnabas or when Barnabas is the problem? Well, a lot of folks withdraw from fellowship. They don't associate with the local church anymore. I know dozens of people who've done that in our church and other churches. They're just, they're Christians. They're living their Christian life, but they have no use for the church anymore because someone let them down. The leadership or an individual, something happened in that church and it was a letdown for them. Well, I would pose to them, first of all, if they're a Christian, by definition, they are a member of the body of Christ. They might not be a member of a local church on paper, but spiritually speaking, they are, they are a finger or an eye or a toe or, an eye or a nose. They're, they're supposed to fit somewhere on the body, in the body of Christ. And if they're withdrawn from fellowship in general, they are letting down the body of Christ. I love it when you're doing the thing you're accusing other people of doing. Isn't that amazing? Oh, I don't go to church anymore because people let me down. You are letting down the body of Christ by doing that. Well, not really. Yes, really, maybe more so than you think. And so, and the other thing is, it's just, it's, you know, not only is it not biblical, uh, it, it doesn't accomplish anything. Working through the people letdowns is another way the Lord works on you to build you up. Remember, he is conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. How can you know if you are becoming more like Jesus unless you are treated like he was? We, we saw Stephen getting stoned. 
And it's, a, it's an amazing scene because he acts just like his Lord, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he peacefully goes home to heaven. How do you know you're going to act like Jesus on the cross until you're being stoned to death? Well, that's an extreme case, obviously. Usually in the body of Christ, we're talking about the person that didn't wave to me or the color of my Sunday school class or the, you know, I didn't get this visit or that nod from the pulpit or no one from the church did this or that or they did this for you but not for me. And, and that's the level that we're on and that's okay. I'm not belittling that that's our level. If that's our level, then let's live on that level and say, well, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I love them anyway. I'm going to shine and glow and, and in fact, bring it on. Let them, I, I wish I'd like to be the most let down person in the fellowship so that I can be the most built-up person in that fellowship. I, uh, you know, people come in, obviously, you know, it's a place where everybody knows your name and, and that kind of a thing. And we want to be in relationship to one another and everything. But there should be a sense in which, hey, if somebody's going to be mistreated, let it be me. I can handle it. I'll just turn it back on them. I'll just give them grace. Wow, what a revolutionary attitude. It's just basic Christianity, but we forget it. I think we'd remember it if we were being stoned to death. I mean, that's, an, you know, I mean, really, seriously. I mean, it'd be, I've said this before. I don't want to experience it, but I think it'd be easier to be stoned to death in one sense because, I mean, it's, it's all or nothing. I mean, it's on or off. I mean, you're going to deny Christ or you're going to be stoned to death. What's going to happen right now? It's all this other stuff about people waving at me. That's where I live, and that's where it gets tough because I don't see God working on my life in that situation, but he is. And I, I want to say this with all respect to myself and to you. We should be ashamed of ourselves when we feel let down by other people because we do it, they do it, and it gives us a chance to honor Jesus Christ and to act like he did on some little tiny thing that is our cross to bear. Uh, that is nothing like what he went through. And so that's what this is about. Now, once Paul gained acceptance, he began a ministry in Jerusalem, verse 28. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. Now, we first met Saul at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen's ministry was to the Hellenists. These were Jews who were raised in a Greek culture. Saul took over where Stephen had left off three years earlier. Apparently, there was a vacancy in the ministry to the Hellenists. <laughs> You'd go to church at Jerusalem, and in their bulletin, every week it would be, ministry opportunity, preach to the Hellenists. And I'm sure a few people, you know, who didn't know the history, maybe step forward and say, hey, what's, uh, what's the history of this ministry? Oh, it's got a glorious history. You're taking over for Stephen, who was stoned to death for preaching to the Hellenists. Is that my job description? Yeah. You know what? I think the Sunday, the nursery sounds a lot better right now. I feel called to the nursery. And so no one was ministering to the Hellenists until Paul, Saul got there. He, more than anyone, knew that they had killed Stephen because of this. And when he got to Jerusalem, among people who were afraid of him, he said, I want 
to be where Stephen was for a lot of different reasons, maybe some emotional reasons that I'll be said, but that's the place, that's where a Christian should be, stepping in where Stephen was, ministering to those hard cases. Paul, Saul, you know more than anybody that they stoned Stephen, you remember? Yeah, I remember I was there. I consented to it. I watched their clothes because I was too good to get my hands dirty, but I was consenting to it. I was a a wild beast with rage. But now I want to go to those people. And what a mind blower that would be. I mean, can you imagine being a Hellenist Jew? What happened? This is the guy who, who, you know, uh, made us stone Stephen in a sense and, and consented to it, and now he's taken his place. Now he's a Christian. How do you defeat these people? If we kill him, somebody else even more powerful is going to come. I mean, this is insane. And so, comparing other scriptures, you learn that Salvo was only in Jerusalem for about 15 days. It was long enough for an attempt to be made on his life. To save him and to make life easier for everyone, it was decided to send Saul away. And when the brethren, verse 30, found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarshish. Saul was from Tarshish. This would be his homecoming after at least three years. He'd probably been gone longer as he was sent to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel. According to one timeline, he was in his mid-30s at this time and therefore had been in Jerusalem for about 15 years. Saul was the most promising young rabbi of his day. He had excelled in zeal for God by persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. He was the pride of the Jews in Tarshish. He returned a changed man. Do you think for a moment that his parents and family and friends and neighbors were excited to know he had turned his back on everything they had invested in him to follow Jesus Christ? Talk about a letdown. Some of you have experienced this at some level where you've become a Christian. Maybe you're the only Christian or the first Christian in your family. It's rough. People wonder, you know, what, you know, did you get religion? Why do you need this? Is this a cult? Especially when we were over at the YMCA and you came to Calvary Chapel. You guys are going to a cult. My own uh, testimony is kind of interesting. You know, it, it, I think immigrant families in general, but Italian families especially, you're, you know, my dad, who I love dearly, he, he just wanted one of his sons to, to, to be better than him. I mean, that was, that's your goal when you're an immigrant. You want your children, you come here, you know, to give your children a, a better uh, chance. And, and he wanted at least one of his sons. And, and my brothers, they're all very successful. You know, it's not that they're deadbeats. Um, but my dad, his, their idea of success is that you go to college, you get a job where you don't work very hard, and people just come up to your house with truckloads of money and, and just... <laughs> You know, because you're so educated and smart that, you know, just truckloads of money are being delivered. UPS is coming by all the time just with money from all over the world, you know. And so, uh, so for, for different reasons, my, my two older brothers and my younger brother never really went to college, didn't finish college. I was the great, you know, uh, Italian hope in my family. <laughs> I was going to use an Italian slur word, but I don't want to... S- 
I was the great hope in my family, and sure enough, I went to college and I uh, graduated, and you know, I had my degrees, and, and then I went into business. Well, my dad was a little bit disappointed because I, you know, he, I wasn't really using my degrees, but he, he still, you know, I was in business, and I was doing very well you know, in the business world that I had chosen for myself. I was climbing kind of the corporate ladder, and I had titles at the end of my name, and he could be, he'd tell people, you know, hey, my son is the assistant to the assistant to the assistant vice president of... <laughs> you know, this title company. And he was very proud. Then I became a Christian, and that was a little, that was pretty shattering, but at least I still was in the business world and still, you know, I hadn't joined, a, you know, a mission group or, you know, burned my house down for Jesus or anything like that. And so that went on for a while, and then the big death blow hit. I'm leaving my job and my career, and I'm going into the ministry. And, and you know, I joke about it, and, and there's nothing can be done about it, but I, under, I understand his pain. I mean, it's, it's probably one of the greatest pains that ha, ha, could have ever come into his life. Uh, you know, I, I was the last hope. I was the last possibility that this dream would materialize and that somebody would be successful outside of the family and, you know, that kind of a thing. And, and it just, I know it, it's just a painful thing. It's a letdown. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about these kinds of things. It can be a letdown. Saul would spend the next five to ten years in Tarshish. Where was the fulfillment of the Lord's promise that he would preach before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel? Hey, I'm saved on the road to Damascus. (laughs) Blinding white light, scales are on my eyes. They fall off, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm preaching. I'm out in the desert eating locusts and honey maybe and, you know, and I get to Jerusalem and, 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 you know, I can see all that. Now, okay, now here I am. I'm ready to start my ministry. Ten years. He was busy. He did go out and establish churches and all, but it wasn't the kind of thing that Jesus had promised him. And you know what? Sometimes you feel it is the Lord himself who has let you down. He doesn't seem to be keeping his word to you. What should you do? Well, we look at Saul. Left in Tarshish for a decade or so, we'd have to agree it seemed Jesus had let him down, but we see beyond Tarshish. We turn the page and see his missionary journeys and the fulfillment of all that he was promised. The answer for us when we feel the Lord has let us down is something we can't really do. It is to turn the page. We need to understand that Jesus is not done with us. He's not finished working in us and on us. If only we could turn the page and see what is coming. In a sense, we can because we know that ultimately we will stand before the Lord. He wants to reward us. And that's all you have sometimes. You remain faithful even when feeling let down, knowing that Jesus cannot help but finish the good work he has begun in you. If you are at a place like Tarshish, it is part of his work on you. Saul was active, as I said, while in and around Tarshish. He preached and planted churches. Keep working for the Lord, knowing he is working on you. You may feel as though he has let you down. You just need to step back from that and realize it's impossible for Jesus to let you down. You just don't see what he's doing. Now, one more thing. It's our second point, but it's only one verse, so it won't take very long. 
When you are being let down, Jesus is building others up. There's always something bigger going on around you. You are part of something, not the center of everything. As we close, we're reminded of the Lord's work in all of his church on the earth. Verse 31, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Now, you'll read in some commentaries that the churches had peace because its chief persecutor had been saved. Well, Saul had been saved for over three years. His conversion was not the reason for peace at this time. Some have suggested a political reason. About this time, historically, the Roman emperor Caligula decided he wanted the Jews to put a statue of himself in their temple. Their attention was thus drawn away from Christians for a time and onto their struggles against Rome. God sovereignly decided to grant the churches peace. It's his church. He can grant it peace. He can bring upon it persecution. That's all in his time. The Christians are described as being edified, as walking in the fear of the Lord, and as being in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That is a great meditation for us. Edified means being built up, not numerically. They were growing numerically. That's why you are told they were multiplied. But this edified means they were being built up spiritually. The church exists to exalt Jesus Christ. If anybody asks you why the church exists, it, exalts, it exists to exalt Jesus Christ. One of the ways we do that is to build up believers by teaching them the Word of God. Whenever I hear that believers are in some trouble in their walk, I ask if they've been attending fellowship. Often the answer is no. As a result, they are unprepared for the pitfalls and the perils that they encounter. And so when Christians come, they need to get a steady, strong dose of the Word of God. You might be here this morning. I might be here. I'll use myself. Some of the stuff that I study, I think, Lord, this means nothing to me right now in terms of what I'm going through in my life. Oh, just wait. Just wait a week or a month or a year because the Lord is always busy training you and preparing you for things ahead. And this is why regular systematic exposure to the Bible personally and corporately is so important because it is our training for what is coming. And, of course, just the fact that it draws us into fellowship with our Lord and it reveals Jesus to us. And so we want to teach God's Word. Then we want to walk in the fear of the Lord. That tells us that believers heard the Word and then obeyed it. They did what God said out of fear. Now, there's a lot of different ways to look at this fear. There is a sense of... Uh, being afraid of something because of discipline. I am afraid to run a red light or to blow a stop sign or to speed because of Johnny Law, because the cops will pull me over. Not, but you know what? I love cops. I work with cops. I, I'm a chaplain. And, and I mean, it's not that I hate police officers, I, but I fear them. And I should fear them and you should fear them because they represent uh, the law and ultimately the Lord. But I also, uh, I obey the Lord just because I love Him and I want to honor and glorify Him. And so walking in the fear of the Lord. Now, some of the things you must obey as a Christian are difficult, so it's a good thing you have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Comfort is not a soft, cuddly word. 
It's a strong word meaning coming alongside to help. Whatever they heard, they could obey because the Holy Spirit came alongside to help them. Healthy believers beget other believers, thus their number was multiplied. The church also exists to evangelize, but its evangelism is most successful on a personal level when each Christian shares his or her testimony while living out the transformed life of Jesus Christ in the world. You will sometimes feel let down. You will sometimes be let down. You will live in Damascus. You will be at Jerusalem. You will have a Tarshish. You must know that the Lord is busy building you and others. Wait for him to turn the page. Don't wait doing nothing. Go on serving him by faith in the body of Christ with zeal, knowing you will have your reward from him. Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you for these things, many things here that are too wonderful for us. We don't deserve for you to share them with us. They are so filled with grace, mercy, forgiveness and love and acceptance but lord because you are who you are you shower your blessings upon us and i thank you for it lord refresh and encourage us in jesus name amen all right let's stand together Some